Uh, it's nice to be here at the 4.30. My name is Ali and I'm part of the team here, but I don't very often make it to the 4.30, not since before Christmas. So it's really lovely to be here. I'm really hoping that Andy's right when he says that he's not got anything more sinister because all day today I'm using the micro microwave after, no, microphone after him all day. And there's no anti-back on this uh, microphone. So anyway, um, you might know if you've been around us for a little few weeks that we are in the middle of a series on relationships. And we've been covering all kinds of things like uh, singleness, marriage, friendship, forgiveness, how to do conflict well, identity. And it's been a really great series. If you um, have missed any of them, then it's really worth going back and checking them out on um, the latest talk part of our website. Um, and I'm here to do the next one in the series. And tonight we're going to be looking at the power of committed community. Now, those words uh, may well just sound like words. If, you are, if you've been around the church for a while, you might recognize that committed community is one of our three values. And so you might be thinking that this is going to end up being a sort of 30-minute advert for you to join a connect group, a small group. And uh, if that's what the Spirit is saying to you, you go for it. But it is not, it's not that. Instead, what we want to look at is the fact that uh, God has called us as his people to live in committed community in a, in a way that brings life. And um, we've had a few baptisms. We had last week, we had baptisms at all the services and a few months before that. One of the things that I have loved in hearing people's testimonies as they've come to know Jesus at this church is that so often part of their testimony is that something caused them to walk through the door whether they were invited or they just felt like, I need to go to church today. And when they walked in here, they encountered the love of Jesus, not just uh, his love, but actually they encountered his love through our love. And so many of them, in different words, said that. And that, is, that right there is the bottom line of the power of committed community, that it draws people to Jesus. And what I want to say, really, uh, in the whole of this talk, and if I tell it you now, you can hold on to it. If you then want to fall asleep or your mind goes somewhere else, then you haven't missed out too much, is uh, what I want to say is that committed community is what we're called to as God's people, but it's really hard. And it's, even though it's really hard, it's still worth it. That's kind of where we're going to go today. It is so powerful that it's worth going through the pain barrier. And, uh, and then at the end, I'll give a few ideas of how we can step into it more and more. A few months back, I went to the cinema to see a film. And uh, I, I get there early enough to see all the adverts and all the trailers. That, for me, is one of the best bits of going to the cinema. And uh, I'm sat with my kids, and we're watching the adverts, and we're all aware that the adverts just, they look a bit weird. The trailers, they look a bit weird. They're blurry. Um, they're not, the colours are really weird. It's not really making much sense. And then as I begin to look around, I notice that everyone in the cinema has something that us three don't, and that's 3D glasses. And I hadn't realised that we'd booked for a 3D film, so I pegged it out to uh, the foyer, gave them my little pound coins, got the glasses, came back, and ah, this is more like it. 
When it comes to looking at this whole idea of committed community, one of the things that we recognise is what the Bible calls us to is actually quite different to how the rest of the world is living. And if we've got this idea of community um, from the world, the sort of images that we'll see out in culture, that it's, it's um, foggy, it's not distinct, it's not colourful, it's not as God intended it to be. And if we want to understand community as God intended it to be, we've got to look at it again through the lens of the Bible. And to do that, we need to go right back to the beginning, because in order to see what God's original intention was for this world, what his original heart was, we always, that's a good principle in anything, is to go back to the beginning of Scripture and see what was happening there. And what we see right at the beginning in Genesis 1 is God says, let us make man, let us make humankind in our image. And what that is, is it's the, the God, he is in community with himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And out of that loving, committed community, mankind was created. And then in Genesis 2, we see an image of that first committed community in Adam and Eve. And we read in Genesis 2 that they were um, both naked and that they felt no shame. So this idea that they were uh, truly vulnerable with no fear, no defensiveness, nothing to hide, no self-protection needed, the ultimate security... But then what happens is that sin comes into the world. And when sin comes into the world, the relationship that we had with God was broken and the relationship that we had with each other was messed up. And we see that played out immediately in that Adam and Eve start blaming each other for what went wrong. And then just shortly after that, we see Cain murdering Abel. And so we, we see this, what happens when this perfect commitment, this unity is disrupted and that really plays out in the whole of the rest of the Old Testament in different ways, um, and it's not always the focus, but we see broken relationship, and then Jesus turns up. One of the things that's helpful for us to remember about Jesus is that everything he did was when he walked the earth, when we saw him, we got to see someone um, who was always deliberate and intentional in everything he did. Nothing that Jesus did was ever by mistake. And Jesus turns up, and what he does is he calls to himself this small band of people, just 12 of them, to walk really closely with him and do life with him and observe his miracles and get stuck in and hear his teaching firsthand, all that kind of stuff. And what he does, again, deliberately and intentionally in this small little group of people, he chooses people that are not likely to get on. So we've got, for example, in that 12, Matthew, who was a tax collector, in other words, a collaborator with Rome, right alongside Simon the Zealot, who was essentially a terrorist trying to overthrow Rome. And so in that one, can you imagine the kind of conversations they would have had around the, the fire at night? You know, everything about them, their political worldview was so opposed to one another. And yet here they were having to do family life day by day. They didn't go at the end of the evening and retreat back into their little private spaces. They literally were in each other's pockets for over three years together. And even beyond that extreme relationship, we see played out in the Gospels all the ways that there was comparison and argumentativeness and competitiveness in this little band. 
And so Jesus, in calling human beings to himself, he, he uh, stepped right into the mess of all that. So we saw firsthand, again, like, oh gosh, this is hard. But with that as a backdrop, he teaches and he prays about unity. So one of the things that he says to his disciples is, uh, when you pray, this is Matthew 6, verse 6, and then verse 9. When you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will, will reward you. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. And so Jesus is saying, even when you do that deeply personal thing, and he even specifically says, you know, you go into that place, you should shut the door behind you. In one sense, even when it is just you and God, it is never just you and God. And I don't know how much that would have blown them away then. I don't know. But I know that if we really entered into thinking about that, that would probably blow us away. Because we're so used to thinking, I am chosen. I am loved by God. I have this relationship with God. That maybe we don't realize that we pray our Father. There is no I in that sense. Truly, he set it up for us to understand it's we. This only makes sense in the context of community. Our Father. And then Jesus, later in um, one of the longest prayers that he prayed, he's, he prays specifically about this idea of committed community. He prays this, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. He's praying for his followers then, and now through the years, through, he's praying for us too, that we would come uh, to be more unified, more connected, more in community. Jesus is all about unity. No wonder, because he's God, and that's where it all began. But what we see then is this mess that we first get to observe with the likes of the disciples and Matthew and, and Simon. We see this kind of messiness of connected lives plays out in the whole of the New Testament. So on the one hand, what the New Testament tells us again and again and again is this we message. It's you plural. So we are a family we are the body. We are brothers and sisters. We are a chosen people. I am not a chosen person. We are a chosen people. And this theme never goes away in the whole of the New Testament. But alongside that and intermingled with that is um, these sayings. These might refer to them two weeks ago, the one another sayings of the New Testament that 59 times there, there's these, this call, this instruction in how we should treat one another. So encourage one another, love one another, forgive one another, bear with one another. And so even as the New Testament is painting this picture of togetherness, it's addressing the fact that togetherness is really hard because it wouldn't need to say all these calls to love one another, encourage one another, if God's people were just going to do that anyway. You know, if you're a teacher and your class are just listening to you, you know, you could hear a pin drop and they're leaning in and they're ready to get every bit of goodness from you, you don't need to tell them to pipe down. They're doing it. When you need to tell them, okay, guys, settle down, be quiet, is when there's a bit of chaos, when there's noise in the room. 
And similarly, the New Testament again and again addresses that God's people were not getting along. There was all kinds of things that was causing division. The way that they thought about access to God, their um, understanding of grace or the Holy Spirit, whether they um, were Jews or Gentiles, about how the rich people were treating the poor people, practically how people were to be looked after, what worship should look like. It goes on and on and on. And so we understand from all of this that community has always been hard. Real committed community, not just hanging out and not just friendship, although friendship is important, but real committed community with people that we're not like. Because remember, in this room, as in any church on any Sunday, there's not much that we have in common except Jesus, which is a good place to start. But we're so different, it means that community can be really challenging. We're so different, that's one thing that makes it hard. There's a few other things that makes it hard. One is that we're sinful. We don't talk about that loads, but we are. You know, we are predisposed to want to do our own thing, to not be obedient to God. We don't want to compromise. We don't want to put other people first. We don't really want their best all the time. We don't want to do the hard stuff. So community uh, is hard because we're sinful. Community can be challenging because we're scared. Maybe we've been part of a committed community before, whether that is a church or a marriage or a close friendship, and uh, we've been hurt through that. And so this idea that we should then be vulnerable and we should somehow love each other uh, in a deeply committed way is frightening. Similarly, we're pretty pain avoidant. Like Generally, we don't want to do things that hurt And we know that there are those risks involved in community. And so it's much easier if we just kind of flip from friendship group to friendship group and turn up when we want to turn up and don't when we don't want to. That is much more appealing. And then the other reason why committed community is hard work is because everything around us is giving us a different message. You know, back to that idea of the 3D glasses, So much of what we see, or not even what we see, but the way that the world is functioning doesn't set us up to win in this area. We are much more used to picking things up and dropping them down again. Um, So whether that is about our smartphones, or about download speeds, or is about box sets, or is about lack of face-to-face conversation, everything about us is challenging, everything around us, sorry, is challenging this, um, this idea of doing commitment. And even a few months ago, my daughter started cheerleading. And to start with, she was doing cheerleading just for fun. Um, but then, after she'd done that for a while, she decided that she wanted to get involved in the competitive cheer program. And so once we signed up for that, we got this letter back from the cheer program, basically saying, um, you need to be committed to this. Now, I don't know how much you know about cheerleading, how many of you have watched cheer docu-series that's taking everywhere by storm. But basically, it's not pom-poms like, yay, go. It's like full-on brutal athletics you know they throw each other up in the air and they're doing backflips it's really amazing but it's a team sport and so what they say is if you miss a week then really the whole team doesn't function properly and so we had this document come through that we had to agree to which was basically unless you are 
dead was basically what I could work out, then you are not allowed to miss a week. And it even says, not because of holiday, not because of mild sickness, not because of birthday, you know, all of these things. You can't miss it. And I'm reading it and I'm like, come on, what is this, a cult or something? She has to turn up every week. <laughs> that even in something like that, I'm like, this is weird that you're, even though I understood their reasons, we're not being used to being told, this is it. If you're in, then you're really in, and you have to keep showing up. We're just not used to thinking that way. I don't know how much you know about goldfish. Um, probably not that much. I've got a few in my garden. I like them. But Andy, a couple of weeks ago, they're not just in my garden, they'd be dead, but they're in a pond in my garden. And Andy, a couple of weeks ago, um, it's like we've all got a really, we're so passionate about goldfish. A few weeks ago, he was talking about his friend's goldfish. And uh, he was talking about, imagine if I wanted to become a goldfish. And we're all like, ha, ha, ha. And we laugh because goldfish are so pathetic. Do you know that a goldfish has a longer attention span than you do. So back in 2000, there was some research done, and it found then that the average human being had a 12-second attention span, and a goldfish had a 9-second attention span. So we go, oh, look how superior we are, for that we've got three seconds on a goldfish. But then this research was repeated in 2018, and they found that in 18 short years, our attention span had dropped from 12 seconds to 8 seconds. We are now a second below the goldfish. Everything around us is training us to not be able to go the distance, to not be able to keep showing up and doing the same thing. We just move on to the next it's really hard to do committed community. And so then, like, why? Why would we bother, if, it, if everything is going against us, why would we bother, as God's people, to choose something so countercultural? I mean, it's because it's worth it. It's worth it. A couple of years ago, my husband Joel got really stuck into a Netflix series called Stranger Things. Some of you may be aware of it. And he said to me, Ali, this is so amazing. You've got to watch it. Well, I'd seen a few adverts, and I was like, too scary for me. I am a wusser, so I was like, too scary for me. And he said, no, honestly, it's really, really good. You've just got to get past the third episode, and then you'll be fine. So what I did is I watched it in the daytime, because nothing is quite so scary in the daytime. I watched it, and I got past the third episode. And it was scary, but by the third episode, I was completely hooked. Because at the heart of all the scariness, you've got this amazing band of kids who just flipping love each other. And they go on adventures together, and they're committed to one another, and they fight for one another, and they don't give up fighting for one another. And that's what makes it so gripping. And when we think about this call to committed community, yes, there are lots of things about it that's scary, but it is worth fighting for. Here's why. There's a few reasons why. One is that committed community actually frees us. That as we look back to Genesis and we look at that picture of Adam and Eve, they were naked and unashamed. Another way of putting that is that they were known and loved. There's a preacher in America called Tim Keller and he wrote a book about marriage and in it he talks about our greatest fear is to be 
um, loved but not known. So, uh, sorry, known but not loved. So this idea that you might know everything about me, all my weaknesses, all my shame, all the things that I struggle with, and that you don't love me, well, then I'm just under your judgment, and that's really frightening. The other one is, what if we are loved but not known? If you say you love me, but you don't know anything about me, your words are pretty meaningless. It won't have any impact. But if you love me and you know me, then I am free to take the mask off. I am free to be emotionally, spiritually vulnerable, knowing that, that, I am, that you're going to go the distance with me. And that is freeing. There is joy in that. And I um, have mentioned sometimes before when I've been speaking that I'm part of a little committed community. There's a few different probably committed community areas in my life. And one of them is my prayer triplet. So three of us, Liza, Karen and myself, and we pray for each other and we share our hearts with each other. And we have chosen over years now just to keep showing up in each other's lives, to keep sharing our hearts, to keep saying the things that we struggle with. And as the years have gone on, we have chosen to go deeper with that and deeper with that. And each time it's a bit scary, because each time it's revealing even more of my true self to them and saying, I'm really struggling, or I need you to pray, or why can't I seem to sort of think differently about this or behave differently? And each time... They could reject me. I have to say, I know their characters well enough now to know that they will not. But each time, they could reject me or they could stand in judgment. But all I met with is love, but also people who will pray and will champion me. And so that is, that's one of the ways that I come to more freedom. One of the ways that you'll come to more freedom in your life, in your relationship with Jesus, in the things that he's asking of you, is when you choose to be known and when you allow yourself to be loved. Community has the power to free us. It has the power also to shape us, to knock the edges off of us. Because in community, we have to compromise. In community, we have to be around people that aren't like us. That doesn't actually happen that much outside of these walls, um, outside of the community of the church. Most times, people gravitate to people that are like them. In the church, that is irrelevant. And so when you're a zealot and you're hanging out with a tax collector, you can bet that you're going to rub the corners off of each other. Proverbs puts it like this in Proverbs uh, 27, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And sometimes we are sharpened through love and through being champions. Sometimes we're sharpened through irritation and frustration and compromise. Sometimes what it is is we see an area of Christ-likeness in someone else, and it just causes us to want that more. But whatever that comes to us, whether it's tricky or whether it's easier, um, being in community will shape us. And sometimes that can sound really uncomfortable, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. Last summer, we finished our summer festivals that we used to run, and it's always an intense time of year where we all head off for loads of days and life is not very normal for quite a long time. And um, at the end of, uh, towards the end of that, my husband Joel took the kids home and I did the last few days with, without my family 
And then on the next morning, I packed up the car and I drove home to them, knowing that that afternoon we were going to get on a plane and we were going to go to Spain just for five days being together before they went back to school. Um, as I drove home, just before I got to my front door, just a bit down the road, I pulled in the car and I rang my friend Beth. And um, Beth would be another um, committed community, and she knows things about me that not all of you know about me. Um, she knows that when I am tired, I can become very selfish. When I'm tired, I can slightly withdraw from my family and want my, you know, want life the way I want it and uh, just be left alone to read or just to be grumpy. And she knows that about me. She knows Ali, tired, miserable cow. So I rang her and I said, right, just about to go through my front door, going to have to unpack, repack, get in the car. This is a miserable cow alert. And I want to say it out loud to you that I don't want to waste any of my holiday being that way. I don't want to punish my my family for my tiredness so if I say it out loud to you now not only does that in itself sort of break something but also you can hold me accountable and you can check up which she did she texted me that night and being how much of a cow are you <laughs> and uh, the truth is although that might sound exposing it's incredibly freeing because the moment I walked through that front door I was ready my family had missed me they didn't need me to be that person they just wanted to be around me and we all had a much better holiday rather than me wasting the first sort of 24 hours or so in a miserable little cave so knowing Beth shapes me stepping into that shapes me okay and so another reason why a committed community is so worth it so worth going through the pain barrier, and I mentioned this and sort of alluded to it at the beginning, is because committed community draws people to Jesus. That when we talk about what it is to be known and loved, that's exactly how Jesus loves us. And when we love each other like that, we're mirroring him to the world. Um, I don't know if you know this, but your body language speaks on your behalf before you say anything. So if your arms are crossed, I might receive that you're feeling defensive or tired. If I'm speaking to you and you're on the back foot, backing away from me, I might uh, understand that you don't really want to speak to me or you're busy, you need to be somewhere else. If you're talking to me and I'm holding my phone in my hand, even if I'm looking at it, you receive the message, sorry, even if I'm not looking at it, you receive the message that I am distracted and that I'm not giving you my full attention. Well, if our body speaks on our behalf, we need to remember that we are called the body of Christ. We are his body on this earth. And so the way that we uh, act speaks on his behalf to a world that doesn't know him. Which is why it says in John 13, by this will all men know that you are my disciples because you love one another. When we love each other, like really love each other, it speaks of who he is and how he loves. And the result is that people are drawn to him. We read in Acts 2 that they devoted themselves. This is the early church, the brand new early church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. 
Have I done that sentence? They broke bread in their home and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. When we love each other well, it points people to Jesus and draws people in. So, last couple of moments. I'm trying to add up how long I've been. Oh, not too bad. I've been 28 minutes, so you can stay there a couple of minutes longer. Um, only another 20. Kidding. Okay. So we've said that it's hard. We've said that it's worth it. So then how do we actually do it? How do we step into committed community? A couple of things. One, we hold on to Jesus. As I said earlier, there's not much in this room that unites us. Really, it comes down to the bottom line that we belong to him. And uh, Paul puts it plainly in Galatians 3.28. He says, There's now neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And what he's not saying is that um, sort of social status or ethnicity or gender suddenly fly out the window and they don't count. What he's saying is those things that have caused division outside the church and in, the things that have caused division outside and in the church then and now, they have to move down the ladder of importance. We have to choose Jesus over those things. And there are loads of things that we care about. There are lots of things that might divide us, negative things that might divide us, and things that we're rooting for that might divide us. But if any of those things, if any of them take priority in our hearts over Jesus, they have to be reorganized. They have to go down the list. Even the things that I'm passionate about, we hold on to what unites us, and that is Jesus. In him, we are brothers and sisters. In him, we're part of the same body, family, functioning together, pulling together. Let's write his name over our relationships and let them come in line with that. So we hold on to Jesus. Secondly, we ask the Spirit to help us. Uh, one of the names for the Holy Spirit is the helper. And anything that God asks us to do in his word, the Holy Spirit will enable us to do. We don't do these things on our own. They are not simply, uh, it's not simply that we have to grit our teeth and just try really hard. The Holy Spirit will help us. Having said that, he will help us, but we also have to choose it. We hold on to Jesus. We ask the Spirit to help us, but we have to choose it and keep choosing it. I was watching a film with Joel and the kids last night, and it was a film about birds. It was a, it was a cartoon about birds. And in it, this cartoon bird was sort of getting herself ready for a date with a male bird, right? So she put on her bird mascara and was like preening herself. And I jokingly, it's not that funny, but I said to the kids, that's how I won your dad over. Like not by being a bird, but you know, glamming myself up. And Joel said, no, I'll tell you how you won me over. Well, we've been married for 13 years on Tuesday. And he said it in a way that I thought, I don't think I know 
what he's going to say. And suddenly he leapt off the couch and he said, this is how you won me over. Well, we met in Australia and uh, he was hanging out with a group of his friends who I happened to know. I didn't know Joel, but I knew the rest of the group of friends. And they're walking along the path and suddenly he said, I jumped in front of their way and I just went, hey! <laughs> and he said, that was the moment. <laughs> Isn't that hilarious? I had no idea it was that easy. But he said, he thought right then, this could be fun. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if he still thinks that or not. But, you know, then we started dating and I persuaded him to leave Melbourne and come and live in Watford and those normal things, you know. And then we got married. Having got married, we moved in together. That's when I found out that he never puts his tea bag in the bin. He leaves it in the mug. <laughs> You know, so it's all very well going, oh, hi, handsome Australian, and me going, hi. But really, the reality, when someone leaves their tea bag in the mug and not in the bin, is you don't then fall back on, oh, isn't he lovely? You fall back on the commitment that you made. Before God, I mean, there are other things that irritate me, obviously. It's not like, oh, tea bag, how will I ever get past that? But what it is... <laughs> It's all the fuzzy feelings won't sustain me and Joel 13 years in. We know that. What sustains us is we keep showing up, like not just like living side by side, but showing up in each other's lives and choosing and re-choosing commitment and to enjoy our relationship. And similarly for us as a committed community, we've got to keep showing up. Keep choosing commitment on the days where there are no warm, fuzzy feelings and we're just irritated by one another. As it says in Hebrews 10, let us not give up meeting together. Let's just keep showing up. And finally, finally, start where we are today. Like even just now for you, where, where does this resonate with you? Where, don't answer. <laughs> Think about like where, does, where are you, where could you be stepping more into committed, authentic community? For some of us, maybe we've just dipped our toe in the water. Maybe others of us, you know, we feel like we've, we've been doing it a bit longer and we're choosing more vulnerability or whatever. Where are you at today? Start where you are and make a decision to do one thing. Maybe that is for you, joining a connect group. Maybe it is for you, serving on a team. Maybe it is choosing in a, in a relationship where uh, you trust that person to just be that bit more vulnerable, to just take another one of the masks off. Maybe it is looking up, just Googling those one another sayings of the New Testament and picking one of them and one person and practicing it. Start where you are today. Keep Jesus central Ask the Holy Spirit to help. I've forgotten number three. Start where you are. I'll choose it and start where you are. There is something so compelling about the community that God has called us to. It has power to free us, to shape us, to draw people to Jesus. We are going to need the Holy Spirit's help, but it is so worth the pain. <laughs>